Okay, now let's see if this works. Yes. Okay, all right. Well, we shouldn't spend too much time on this slide. Let's get started, shall we? Okay, so, hello. My name is Tracy Shannon. Um, I teach English here at Southwestern College, but as you can see at the bottom, I'm also involved in some statewide projects. So uh, I work for App One in their um, training and certification program. So I give workshops, I um, travel to other colleges and, and do trainings, and I also help uh, mentor people who are getting certification. And kind of stemming from that, I became involved with the Online Education Initiative, which is a huge grant-funded project for the whole community college system. And the OEI is designed to, as, as you see in some of these slides, give more students access to high-quality online teaching. And it does it in a variety of different ways, and that's where a lot of people get confused with what it is. It's, it has so many parts to it that um, sometimes people don't realize which parts are out there. So I wanted to just go through it really briefly and, and kind of show you what, what's, in, what's in there that we can use right away, and then talk a little bit about its long-term goals too. And the part that I'm most excited about is the rubric. Um, and we'll show you the rubric and actually have copies for you. But that rubric lets every single instructor who's teaching online see what, what the best practices are in teaching online right now. And then we can modify our courses to reach those those ideals, and that's something I've spent a lot of time doing. So I can show you in my course some things that I've done um, based on the rubric. So just some general information about the OEI. Uh, it has several different components, and uh, I'm gonna start over here. So one of them is, because of its size, because it is a statewide chancellor's office uh, level project, there are lots of resources that they are um, accumulating that are designed to be used throughout the entire system. Um, one of those is the uh, learning management system that they um, have just contracted for with Canvas, mm -hmm. and it's going to be available throughout the entire system. Nobody has to use it, but a lot of us are going to want to probably because it's being redesigned, so the company that makes Canvas is making one that's like Canvas Plus for um, the community college system based on what the OEI um, people have said that, that faculty and students would like to see. So we don't know exactly what it looks like, but when it comes out, because of this economy of scale, it's going to be a very affordable option for all of the community colleges. Um, also, there are going to be system-wide resources for online students, and so those are already being built right now. There are lots of materials for student readiness, um, for um, building student success, strategies in um, to an online class from the faculty side, but also resources that students can use too. And this is the part that I'm mostly involved with, the resources for developing quality online courses. So the rubric is a big one, but also there's going to be a professional development area in Canvas where there will be lots of resources. There will be how-to videos, there will be sample classes, there will be examples um, like course tours of different people's courses so you can see how people are doing some of the things on the rubric. So this is, this is still being worked on right now, but when it's done, it'll be a fabulous resource for us. So uh, in a nutshell, uh, these are the things that OEI has, um, has, has been doing with this goal in mind, to increase the ability of our students to complete their educational goals. And one of, the, one of the things that got OEI started was how long it takes students to move through the system. There aren't enough of the classes that they need and they spend extra time waiting to get in those classes. Online classes fill almost immediately. And so the more quality online classes we can offer, the quicker our students can get the classes that they need. So um, the way that we can improve that completion, these are a couple of the, the goals that OEI has set up. One of them is to improve success and retention across the system and having students be more prepared. They're developing a really comprehensive readiness program students go through. Um, you'll see an example of that in a couple of minutes. Helping faculty be more prepared, which is the part I really like. Things are changing so fast in online education and it's, it's always a moving target, right? As soon as you get this new technology or this new strategy, there are other ones out there to think about. So we need to always be training and be to, to stay on top of all of our options. So the more that we can get faculty prepared, the easier our job gets and the more effective it is and the more students we retain. Um, and then the quality course design, we're going to be talking about that. 
Um, the rubric I'm showing you is open for everybody to use. Everything that's in OEI has a Creative Commons license, which means it can be used by all of us. Uh, providing resources to the colleges to allow for the addition of quality online courses. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but uh, the resources that are coming up will be available to everybody, whether or not you use Canvas, um, whether or not you're participating in the exchange, which I'll explain in a minute, these resources, resources are for the whole system. And then as we talked about, providing more opportunities for students to take the classes. So um, the exchange is one piece, that's probably the piece most people are most familiar with, but it's actually just one component of OEI. The exchange is a system where colleges will all use that same course management system and they will be integrated from everything from admissions to grades that the students will take a class from another college if that college's um, Econ 101 has space. So these are all CID courses, so the courses are the same across the colleges. And a student whose online offerings at their college is booked can go to another college that has space and take the class there. And students already do this, but they have to enroll in that college, they have to request the transcript from that college, it's a lot of work. The schedule's not necessarily the same. So this is going to make that a lot more seamless for students. And that will help all of the classes fill because they're, they're accessible by a whole new group of students who want to take those classes. Um, it'll also include access to resources for both colleges and OEI's resources too. And this is hopefully a goal for that. It'll improve completion rates across the state. So this is in its pilot phase right now. There are 24 colleges who are in the pilot program and um, it has started. They have already started um, integrating the different components and um, they're going to be having this, these classes Right now, they're mostly the students at the home campus who are in the class as they're running through the first part of the pilot, and then they're going to start going to each other's. So it's it's moving quickly. Tracy, when, when will that start as far as them being able to exchange from other people? Well, it's still in the pilot, so when the pilot is done, then they're going to be um, assessing it, making any modifications, and then they're going to be opening it up. Initially, it'll still just be those 24 colleges who run through it and, and make sure that it's, it's smooth. But then after that, um, it'll be open to any colleges who want to join in. But as far as the pilot, as far as the student in the pilot being able to take a, cl a class at another college, is that? Yeah. That's, that's, not the last, that's the last, last stage. Mm -hmm. okay. So they'll do it first taking within the pilot group. And then once all the kinks have been worked out, and there, there will be kinks, right? Because you're working with different colleges right. and different yeah. systems. And once that's all smoothed out, then it, it goes open to everybody. And they'll all, um, any of the courses that are offered through the exchange will be using that new CMS that Canvas builds, and so it'll be familiar to the students. Whichever campus might be the, the campus the course is being taught at, they'll use that same system, and the courses will have that same level of quality, they'll have that same consistency in a sense, so it'll, it'll be a lot easier for them. So um, the college course management system, we just talked about this a little bit, it's going to allow for students to take classes from different colleges more easily, but also one really great feature of this is they're going to get, be able to have an online community. So all the students who are in um, the English course or the biology course or whatever the course is that's being offered on the exchange, those students will all be able to connect with each other and there will be spaces in Canvas for them to connect, not just in their class, but with all the other students who are taking that class. So they're going to have communities where they can go in and work with each other. And faculty will have that too. So we can collaborate with people in our discipline at other colleges and we can share materials and there'll be a space for us to do that in the LMS, or the CCMS as it's going to be called. Um, and then as I was talking about before, it's going to be low cost or no cost to use this. And um, as I'm sure the people of our campus who pay for it can tell you, um, Learning management systems are really expensive. They can cost up to $100,000 a year. I'm not sure exactly what ours is, but the range um, for our system is between 40 and 100. Um, this is going to be offered, I, I was told, Pat James said she's hoping that they can offer this at $20,000 a year or less. She's hoping less, which would be a great cost savings across the board. Um, so, that's still in the works. Um, they're still building it. Um, the other part that I wanted to talk about a little bit is here. Um, 
They're looking at ways that they could build in other resources statewide too, things like online exam proctoring, if you, if you need a, an exam that's proctored. They're even looking into things like if you need an exam to be taken in a physical space, could each campus provide that physical space? And even if student A is taking a class through Ventura, they could take that proctored exam at their home campus of Southwestern. Alright, so um, just a little bit about Canvas, which was selected to design this CCMS. Uh, there was a huge group that was involved in this, and our opener of Amber was on this committee. And it was by the time that they had heard from the um, companies and they had heard from the students, they had heard from the faculty. Um, you might remember they did a site visit here to speak with faculty about our system, which was one of the finalists. Uh, it was nearly unanimous that Canvas was the best choice for this. Um, students adore it. They find it really easy to use. It's very, very mobile, so they can do a lot of their work on their phones or their iPads, which research shows they're doing anyway. But they can do it easier with this. Um, and um, the completion and success rates is kind of interesting as well. So Canvas, Canvas has a lot of a lot of pluses going in, but um, they're going to, like I said, be designing it specifically for us. So some of the things that people wanted to see in the system, they're negotiating building that right now just for us. So this is one of the parts I want to show you. This is the, one of the student readiness modules, just an image of it. They were designed by an outside vendor and they look fabulous. I've seen the first one. They're really detailed, they're fun, they're engaging. They mix videos and kind of a, a fun style of the images. And as you can see, like this is module one, and they work through the module, learning things as they go, kind of self-assessing as they go with, with interactive materials. And these are the modules that are part of it. We're going to be given these and we can use them for free for our entire campus. So right now they're being used in the pilot classes, but what I think would be nice is if we use these before students took classes. So this could be part of a, of a training. And um, because it's all Creative Commons licensed, it'll be available to us to use. So this is the part that I'm involved with, the professional development wing of OEI. And so what we have been doing is using the online course design standards, which I'm going to be showing you, to evaluate courses in the pilot colleges. So the pilot colleges have sent forward uh, five of their courses, and then we are reviewing them using the rubric to look at what's working really well and what might need to be revised to be offered in OEI. And if you're interested in, in going over this rubric in a lot of detail, we have a few trainings that are coming up. Um, this one sold out quickly. Um, I say sold out, but they're actually free. Um, I'm going to be doing the May 1st one in Cerritos, if anyone feels like going for a drive. Um, I'm also going to be doing the one on June 17th at the OTC, that's the online teaching conference. That one actually does have a charge of $50 because it's at a hotel and part of the conference. And we will be doing more in the future, but these are one-day workshops that get people acquainted with the rubric, let them try it out a little bit, let them explore some of the ideas in a bit more depth than we'll be doing here. So if, if you see it today and you want to learn more about it, this would be a great option. Um, and actually, there's one more that was put in here. It's in the 15th, I'm trying to remember the college. It's in the LA area. And um, it's on their website as well, if you wanted to go to OEI or that one. So it, it poten you potentially could be a reviewer even if you have not gone through the OEI Training, right? That's that's a sick that's several. Um, actually, that's a really good question. So these are for everybody to go just to learn about the rubric and how to apply it. Review to be a reviewer, you go through additional training. So um, you there's an application, and then this would be your baseline training. But then you would go through an additional training before you became a reviewer. Right now we have 30 course reviewers from across the state. Are you going to look at the website that we we can register? Yes. Yeah, I'll show you the website. Okay. Yes. But this is a great way just to kind of get your feet wet, see if, you, see if you're interested in it, just to learn more about the rubric, really, because as you're going to see, it's, it's comprehensive. There's a lot in there. And it's nice to see some models and, and try, try out some of the ideas in there to, to get a sense of how it works in the class. Okay, so I'm going to move on then. Um, this is just a, a visual that the OEI folks put together to give you a sense that it's still a puzzling process. Um, so right now we're, we're definitely, this is going to be the last piece to go in there. This is why we have the pilot. Resolving the complex issues of the colleges all working together seamlessly. 
But um, we already have quite a lot of these cool resources that are almost ready to go in. And once those go live, we'll have a lot to work with here. Okay, so let me get you the rubric. So any other OEI general questions? Thank you. Before we before we take a closer look at the rubric, so it's going to be the case that there will be some online classes that participate in the statewide program and then others that are just here, and that will probably be the way or all of the online classes will eventually participate in this. It'll, I think it will always be a, a small group. Um, one of the main reasons is because it needs to be a CID course that matches with courses across the, the system. So we all, all the campuses have our own specialty courses we've created. Like we have a course on horror and madness and literature. That's not a course that every other campus has. So the, the, the core transfer courses are the ones that are going to be the, doing the heavy lifting in here. Um, and not all of those sections will be part of OEI either. So um, if people want to teach the class the way they've been teaching it, they don't have to um, offer it through OEI because the courses that are offered as part of the exchange go through this really rigorous process. Um, they're, they're submitted, they're reviewed, revisions are requested, the course is redesigned a little bit more, and then when it's approved, it's put into what's called the exchange, and then it'll be offered. But that's not going to be that's not going to be every course, or even the majority of courses. This is a very basic question, but uh, then uh, the course management system Canvas Canvas is similar to those like uh, eCollege or Blackboard. Similar, but not the same. Exactly. It's similar. It has a lot of the same features. Um, it, it Canvas looks um, different, okay. and it does a few different things. It has some really good analytical tools and some great discussion mm -hmm. tools. So it's it's a lot like Blackboard. In fact, um, you can get a course shell and play around with it um, from Canvas's website, and oh. you can actually take a Blackboard course and export it into Canvas and see really? what it looks like, which is really fun. And then you'll say, wait, that doesn't go there. That goes over here. So you'll move things around a little bit. But you can actually see what it looks like when it's in Canvas. But the Canvas that you'll see for this free one is not exactly the same as OER. So Canvas for me. Oh, that's not nice If you let your first thing out there on the exchange, do you have a look at a process yet for those courses? Um, at this point, it's only colleges that are participating in the pilot. So only, the only ones we're looking at are those courses. But once the pilot is concluded, we're ready to open it up um, system-wide, then yes, there'll be a process you can go through. And it'll be very similar to what the pilots are doing. All the courses offered through the exchange will still need to go through the review process, which is why we'll be hiring new reviewers soon, because that's going to be a lot of courses. But the, one of the things I really like about what OEI is doing is the exchange is one part of it, which is really great to offer greater access to students. But I think what most of us will be doing, especially at these early stages, is using all the materials that are being designed. So we can use these rubrics right now with our own classes and our own learning management system with our own students, and we can boost our, our own retention just within our little microcosms. And so the, the course design rubric here was, was designed by the Professional Development Workgroup of OEI, which was comprised of DE experts from all across the state. They were handpicked, they got together, they spent hours and hours and hours putting this together. And so it really represents kind of the best practices of online teaching at this point, which I find really helpful because I can look at this and say, okay, yeah, I'm doing that in my course. Oh, I never thought of doing that in my course. How could I do that? And, and that's what I've been doing, actually, for the last year, is going through and, and adding things to my courses that I really hadn't thought about before, but the rubric gave me, gave me some strategies for how to do that. So just working with this rubric has made me a much better online instructor, and I just love that this is open, everyone can use it, so we can start doing this with our classes now. So even if, if you never teach a class as part of the exchange, you're going to be able to use all of these resources. And this is the first one. There will be lots of other ones coming as well, things that we can just put right into our classes and use. So the rubric has four basic areas. The first one is course design, which is kind of a big topic, but it's looking at how a course is structured, the bones of the course, how it's organized, how the course menu is being used, how the weekly content is being delivered, that kind of thing. There's a big section on interaction and collaboration because that's really the heart of an online course. So this section will look into how you facilitate um, students working with each other, how you work with students individually in groups as a whole class, um, and collaborative assignments that you may have too. Then the assessment piece focuses on 
on assessments in an online environment, which are kind of different than a classroom, right? Anyone who's tried to take their material from face-to-face -face and put it online has run across that. Worked great in a classroom, doesn't work so great online. So things need to be uh, thought about and, and redesigned for an online environment. So the assessment section of the rubric goes into ways you can do that. And then the last section, D, is learner support. That covers things like offering your students resources, access to campus resources, um, and it also covers things like making your materials accessible for your students. So, I thought what we might do is walk through the rubric and talk about a couple of areas, um, answer questions you have. We won't have time to read the whole thing because each page has, has a lot of content, um, but I can show you along the way how I've taken some of this and, and applied it to my course, just so you can see what it looks like. Of course, that's the technologically tricky part. So, as I attempt to go back and forth. Yes. <laughs> okay, so. All right, so if you flip over to um, section eight, which is course design, the way that this rubric is set up is in, there are four categories. So, distinguished to exemplary, that's, that's a great example of how to do this thing. Uh, satisfactory to accomplished, meaning that that is, in terms of um, being ready for OEI, that means that it's ready, although we may request improvements. Um, promising, it's, it's at the beginning stages, but not quite there yet. Um, and incomplete, it's just something the instructor has not yet thought of, so that's something that we need to be added to the course. So, um, I'll tell you about one, one example of how I changed things right away from the very first page of the rubric, uh, the objectives area. So most of, us have, most of us have student learning objectives in our course outlines and we have them in our syllabi, right? Some of us have them in the course shell itself too, so they, there might be a place where you write your um, objectives. But how many of you have objectives for each learning module or each week's content in the course? Yes. I could not raise my hand before. I had not done that. And I thought, hmm, that's probably a good idea because from a student point of view, Students go into a new week and they just see a lot of stuff you put in there for them. And they're not quite sure where to start or what to do with it, how to jump in. And when students aren't sure how to do something, what do they tend to do? Not do it. Right? They tend to procrastinate. And then they're going in right before something is due because they didn't even realize that that was in there because they weren't sure when they were supposed to start or how they were supposed to start or what they were supposed to look for. So I think learning objectives are a great way to help students see at a glance what the week has in store for them and then also what they're supposed to focus on. Because if you're giving them a lot of content and activities, it can be a little bit overwhelming if they don't have a roadmap, if they don't know what, what their main priorities are. So I'll show you what I did with this. So I, uh, I did not have, I was somewhere over here. I had objectives in the syllabus, but I did not have them in the learning units. So, just a quick question. Go ahead. Does that mean that those are all all translated by you into eMovement afterwards, or you're taking no. just a sample of those? Okay. No. Yeah, objectives is, is kind of a tricky word, right? Okay. So, um, for I had I had my student learning objectives, and and I do SLOs, but what I was thinking of was more like from the student point of view, where I could give them weekly objectives. Mm -hmm. So those are not, I mean, they all are connected, of course, but the, the objectives, I looked at my week and I, it was good for me too to figure out what my priorities really were, what I really wanted them to get out of that week. And I wrote it in similar language, I used Bloom's taxonomy, and I made sure that, that they were written as objectives, but doing that really forced me to trim things out of my week that maybe weren't as relevant to. Okay, so let's see here. All right, so I'm in uh, one of my courses, English 116. I'm going to go over to, yeah, to my weeks. So I have my weeks, um, my course content, everything really is organized by weeks. So we're currently in week 13. As we go back, you'll see it goes down to all the way to week one. Um, I'm going to go into week three. So as I was doing the objectives, I thought, the last thing my students need is just to see more text. So I decided to make them a little bit more visual. So what I have for each week is, uh, this is made with a, a program called TAP. It's actually an online program, and it's embedded into Blackboard. So I've got more of a visual welcome to the week. Uh, I have an overall statement about the focus of the week, so they can remember what the topics are. And then I've got learning objectives right here. 
So it's kind of like at the end of the course, you'll be able to. At the end of the week, you'll be able to. And then I have um, verbs that give them a sense of what they should be able to do. And I have to say, I kind of resisted doing this at the beginning because I thought, oh, that's going to take a lot of work. That's going to be just one extra thing that I have to do. And it's not actually a learning activity. But once I started doing it, I found it, it really was not that difficult because I knew in my mind what I wanted them to do. But if it's in my mind, how are they ever going to know? So I got on board, and then I actually had fun doing them because each week I do a different color scheme. And so, and, and these, by the way, these get, I get little notifications from TAC about how many viewers are seeing these. My students are actually clicking on these and going out to the website and looking at the whole thing. And for each one of these, I get, believe it or not, about 500 views. So they're going out there multiple times. They're just, they, they're, they're looking around at all the other ones I've created because I use um, TAC to other things too. And so um, they keep coming back to this over and over again. Okay, I'm gonna flip back over. Actually, I think now that I'm out of that, that looks like a PowerPoint slide. It is, and then you just it's insert. it's it's kind of like that. Um, TAC is a it's a program. You can actually go to it and try it out. It's free, and it lets you make what are kind of like digital posters. They can be as long as you want. You can put video in there. You can put links. I'll show you one at the end if, if we have okay. a little bit of time. TAC. TAC. T A C K K. Oh, okay. T A C K K. And I have a lot of them that are open, so if you go there, you'll see my, you can, you can find me on there and look at my TAC board, which has all of my TACs on it. That's old language. Okay, so I'm gonna just use this one in here. That's a good visual. Okay, so A2 is still in course design, but this one has to do with content presentation. And I think this is a really important one to think about for how we can improve our courses too. So one of the big things that the rubric is focusing on is that content is chunked, meaning that it's, it's digestible for your students and whatever the focus is for that week, they can find everything they need in one place. So if you were building your course kind of piece by piece, semester after semester, it, it might look like some of those houses that have gone through renovation after renovation after renovation, and it doesn't all really fit together anymore, and things are sticking out in different designs and colors, and so our courses can kind of look like that if we keep building on them. But choking content means that everything the student needs for that week is in one place. So they don't have to go to all these other new wings of the house to find things, everything they need is together. So. For a lot of people, when they think about that idea, it just clicks, it makes perfect sense. Your information is already out there, you just need to make it easier for the students to access it in one place. So going back up to my course for just a second. If we look at the rest of this week, so that was my uh, learning objectives, then what I have in here is, I have, this is a booklet where I have a lot of content where I'm teaching the concepts for the week. And then I've got a link to the quiz right after that. So they don't have to go out to the quiz area of the class to take the quiz, it's right there for them. And they could go to the quiz area because I have it there too. So if they are doing the week piece by piece, they have another way, they don't have to go back in here to get it. But for a lot of students, they like having everything in one place because then they can be sure that they, they're moving through it step by step and they're not missing anything. So I have a separate area for quizzes, I have a separate area for discussions for direct access, but I link to all the things they'll be doing that week in this one folder. And it's all in chronological order, and I've enabled review so they can actually check things off. If we were looking at this from the student view, there'd be a box where they can check it when it's completed. And then I do the same thing with discussions, whether it's a discussion board or this one is a voice thread discussion, I link to it right here too, so when they're ready to do the discussion, they're still in that same folder and they can, they can stay right there. Then if I have any other assignments, like this week I have what I call skill builders, so this is a, a little plagiarism unit that I have them do to, to refresh their memories about using sources and um, have them self-assess to make sure that they've got it. So, this is actually kept in another area of the class as well, but I've linked to it here so that everything I need is in one spot. And, and on the, the, the menu, when you, we, you, we open it, it just said week one, that's it. Right, so oh. here's what it looks like. These are all my weeks, and 
they're in order. So when the, yes. the new week will always be up at the top. So there's week 13s right there, the week that we're currently in. And so every week, all they need to do is click there. But if you look at the course yes. menu, you'll see I have an area for quizzes. So yes. they could also go here and they could take the quiz directly from here if they wanted to. But and when we go to quick weekly materials, our, this is where you have all the. Ah, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, that's a yeah. light bulb. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, once you think about it, it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. But, but a lot of people don't, don't really think. It, it, see it from that student point of view. That's the beauty of this rubric. The more you look at it, the more you say, wow, I'm not doing that. I never thought of that. And it's just full of little things like that. Why did you think about that? I'm curious what, what your students see. What is your home page look like? What, do you have announcements there? Or yeah, do you have I have announcements on my home page. And in the announcements, in the announcements every week I introduce the week, so I kind of introduce this folder, and then when they're ready, they go over to it. So I'll show you the intro for. So right now they're doing a group workshop, but at the beginning of the week, this is my intro to the week that we're currently in. So I kind of tell them, so again, I'm giving them some objectives, but in sentence form. And um, I give them a few things to remember and a few reminders down there at the bottom about the dates for what we're doing for the week. So they get used to this rhythm, and that's another thing. They, my students, that's one of the top things that they enjoy about the class is the consistency and how organized it is. Because if you're taking three different online classes, it's really difficult to remember how to navigate each one and to remember the different due dates for each one. And if you don't have consistent due dates for your class, it's even more confusing for students. So my students always know the quiz is always due on a Tuesday. Their first post to the discussion is always due on a Thursday. Their replies to their classmates is always due on a Saturday. And so they get used to that flow and then they, they don't forget as often and then they feel more comfortable too. Like they know, you know how it is when you have a learning curve and you just feel like you've mastered something and then you feel comfortable using it. Well, if things are changing all the time, they never get to feel that sense of comfort and they're always a little bit stressed. Okay, so back to the rubric. Um, this kind of ties into what we were just talking about too. That if the navigation is intuitive, if everything flows the way you'd expect it to flow, we all know websites that do this and other ones that don't, right? Um, I, I was, uh, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, I was part of the um, identity theft problems that have come up, and uh, one of the things I had to do was to go to one of the credit reporting sites and do the, um, the, the identity theft alert, and the first one on the list I went to, it was so difficult to navigate, I left it, I went back to the list, I found the second one, I was much happier there. We all have those experiences, right? So if you're in a class where everything just flows smoothly and you can find what you need where you'd expect to find it, you're much happier being there. We want our students to be happy, right? <laughs> so the rest of this has to do with those sorts of things too. So content is presented um, using um, appropriate mechanisms. It's very easy to access the content. Um, CMS tools are used to reduce the labor intensity of learning so you're not making your students go through 10 clicks to get to what they need every time they need it and things like that. I saw a schedules on the menu. Mm -hmm. What is that, schedules? Um, when I pop back over, remind me and I'll show you. Um, I give them a schedule for each unit of the class, which is five weeks, more or less. Okay. And so they can see at a glance all the reading and assignments and due dates for those five weeks. Again, so they can plan things out. Oh. And that is in your syllabus as well? Yes. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. A shortened version of it. Okay. Uh, the last thing for course design is learner engagement, and these are strategies that are in place in the course to help students be successful. So they have to do with things like um, opportunities to work with content, not just to read it and take a test on it, but to actually work with it, to interact with content. Um, individualized learning opportunities, things for advanced um, students to keep them stimulated and engaged, things for students who are struggling to help them catch up. Um, so this all deals with different ways to use tools and technology to make sure that learners are engaged throughout the class. So that it's actually an online class, not, not a correspondence course where they're just reading and testing and reading. Alright, I'm going to move these, these a little faster so we get to a couple of others. Um, the section B on communication. Uh, Interaction and collaboration. So 
So the communication strategy has things like, do you give your students um, contact information? And is it in multiple forms? This is one of those other ones that people don't necessarily think about. We probably all give our students our email address, but there are other ways that students might prefer to communicate. The teenagers say that email is for old folks. <laughs> so, no, you don't have to give your cell phone number so they can text you, but um, you could give them uh, Skype contact, right? So I have Skype office hours every week, and most of my students don't do it, but the ones who do love it because that's another way they can communicate with me. Um, there are lots of different options. There's, there's chat, since chat came up before. Um, some people actually do give out their cell phone numbers. So that's, that's a possibility too. Um, there are office hours you could have with CCC Confer. Um, there are lots of different options, creative options. There's um, also, you could give them um, an area of the discussion board where they can ask questions and, and um, you're participating there and quick responses. One thing that's really important that we all get in our syllabi uh, is expected response time. So the students know how long they need to wait for a response from you. I know some of them think we're computers and we should respond like that. Uh, but if you give them a response time, then they know that if they haven't heard from you at the end of that time, they should resend the email. So 24 to 48 hours of um, work days is, is kind of the standard. And getting that in the syllabus is, is important. Um, explaining the instructor's role within the course. This is one of the things that I added to. Um, I added a separate area in my syllabus that talks about my role. So I let them know I'll be interacting with them on the discussion board. They can expect me to respond to their papers in a certain way, um, that I will give feedback on these kinds of assignments. So they know what I'm going to be doing in there. Because students still say that there are some classes where the instructor isn't there. So they go in, they do their work, there's nobody there to ask questions of, nobody there to talk to, they never join the class discussions. So it's important that they know that in, in your class, you're going to be in there as their teacher. So that is just about, this section is just about setting those things up for the students. Uh, this is a big one too, setting up a learning community. So do you have a welcome letter that you're sending out to students before the semester begins so that they can start collecting the materials they're going to need. Um, I usually send a video as well so students can meet me, they can, they can hear me talking about the class, especially because students tend to get really anxious before an online class begins. So if they can see that you're smiling and you're friendly, that helps them focus on the class and stop being so worried. Um, and then this section also goes into things like, um, do you have student-to-student -student interactions as a requirement of the course? Most people do this through the discussion board, although there are other options. So do you have students working together? Um, if they collaborate on projects, that's another way that they can work together. Because you want to make sure that the class is not just the student and the materials. It should be the student, the materials, the instructor, and the other students, just like our face-to-face -face classes are. Those are all important components on ground, and they really should be online, too. Um, section B3, this is the last one for interaction and collaboration, talks about things like um, setting up guidelines for participation. So over here, um, explaining required levels of participation. This is something that a lot of people end up revising as well, because we start off just having class discussions on the discussion board, but do we actually tell students what they need to do there, how long the post should be, how they should be responding to each other? what constitutes a good answer on the discussion board, how those points were awarded. So one of the things that I did after thinking about all this is I made a rubric for grading uh, the discussion boards and also for giving feedback. So I'm gonna go into my, this is my fake class. This is my sandbox course. So I can show you what one looks like and how I would actually use it. So I'm gonna go to the grade center where I have two students I have student, who's my favorite student, he takes all my classes, and I have demo user. So if I go into week two's discussion, let's say I wanted to grade student here, I have a rubric attached. And so for that week's discussion, I can go through here and I can just click where Stu fell on the requirements. And it automatically tabulates all this down at the bottom for his points. And I can leave him a little note down here too. So if, for example, he missed 
one of his responses. So in my class, they have to do a primary post and then two responses to develop a conversation with others. So maybe he did really great on his primary post here, but his first response was less than the minimum word count, wasn't proofread, didn't really contribute to the discussion, just said, yeah, great idea. Then I can call him on that down here and encourage him to contribute something more substantial. And then he'll see this in the grade book. So he'll be able to see the rubric um, completed with the check marks, and he'll be able to see my comments too. And then in Blackboard, you also can add comments on each individual rubric item, which is nice. And this is just, there is a place where you, I've never set up one of these, but you can set up a rubric. You can. When you, um, let me get out of this here. And there's a section in the course tools area for rubrics, right down here. And then when you go to rubrics, you can make however many rubrics you want for the class. So I have a discussion board grading rubric, and I just attach it to every week's discussion. So I only made it once, I use it the whole semester. And then I have them for my essays as well. And what I did for the essays is I did one, and then I just adjusted it a little bit for the new assignment, just built on the same content really, and so then I had a separate rubric for that one. I have one for the research paper. And students love these rubrics because then they have a really good idea of what the target is. So they get them ahead of time and they can see what they need to do to reach the grade that they want. So they're not frustrated, they're not surprised, they're not confused by their grade. They, they get it because they already knew the criteria ahead of time. And I write criteria in the assignments too, but having the actual grading rubric in front of them is a different thing. They really, they really seem to pay a lot of attention to that. And the students who want to improve on, on their discussion contributions now know what to do. And I give them sample um, samples as well. I don't have time to, to show you that right now, but um, they are given a document that has sample sample A post, sample B post, sample C post, so that they have an example to go along with that rubric too. So that's the kind of thing that, that that this can get you thinking about and building into your class. Just one quick thing. So mm -hmm. when you're setting up a discussion board, there is a point in which you can say attach rubric. In that. Yes, exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we won't have time to go through C as much. C has to do with assessments. Um, it talks about rubrics here as well. So the rubrics I was just showing you for my essays, um, that would, would take care of for the assessment area. Um, under assessment design, it talks about things like are you including higher order thinking in what you're asking the students to do? Do they have opportunities for self-assessment? Things like um, when you are writing a quiz, are you giving feedback on the right answers and the wrong answers? Because they can use that. It's like you have a little teaching moment even though you're not there. So if they get something wrong, can you say, looks like you need to review this again. Here are the page numbers in our book, or here's an extra resource for you, so that they get to learn from those wrong answers. Um, also, you could do journals, which is something that I started doing um, once I saw this part of the rubric. Journals uh, let students reflect on how things are going, and then I can read it and respond back to them. And then the last section of the rubric, just kind of skimming through here, um, is learner support. Things like if you have software that you'd like them to use, do you have links to where they can download it? Do you have instructions for them? Um, and this is the section that has to do with things like instructor policies. Do you have a netiquette policy so they know what is and is not okay in discussions? Um, do you have links to the library, the writing center? Um, do you have a plagiarism policy? Things like that to support learners and help them be successful. The last thing you're going to see on those couple of pages at the end is grayed out. And that's because the accessibility team at OEI uses these pages to check the accessibility of the courses. We initially started out having the reviewers do this, but not all reviewers had the same level of training in finding some of this. And as you can see by looking at them, they're rather technical. So um, at that point, the course is given to an assessment uh, accessibility team, and they look at the things on the last two pages to make sure the course is ready to go. And so even though our courses are not part of the, the exchange and they're not, they're not being evaluated by the team, what I think would be fabulous is if we actually made our own teams. We could do this here, right? You could use this yourself to revise your course, and then you could get together with some other people in your discipline and say, hey, will you look at my course? I'll look at your course. In fact, when we were doing the training to be reviewers for OEI, that was one of the things we said over and over again. I want you to look at my course because we'd see what great feedback somebody gave and say, I, I would love to get that myself. And so then it starts a conversation about how to improve our courses. 
we can share and see how other people are doing it. So it's great to see what other people are doing. And then, even though our courses are not part of the exchange, all of a sudden, as a group, they've gotten better and better just because we have some new ideas and some new examples to work with. So last thing I want to do is show you where the online education website is. This is actually going through um, a revamp right now, but um, some especially important things to do on the online education initiative website. If you go over here to newsletter, you can subscribe and then you get sent a newsletter with updates. Um, Pat James, who is the executive director, writes something usually every month, kind of summarizing what's been going on. So that's really useful to get. It's easy to subscribe to it. If you go to the professional development area here, then you'll see a copy of the rubric. It's also online in a different form, but the, the one right here is the one that I just gave you. You'll also see the at one standards for quality online teaching, which I printed up for you as well. And these are more about the behaviors. So the, the OEI rubric is more about the course itself and how it's designed, and this is about the instructional behaviors that go along with it. So um, you'll see things like how the instructor interacts with students, um, how the instructor uses technology. And these are part of the standards that are used for the OE of the At One certification program. So just kind of looking at them now can help you see the other side of it, the facilitation of the course. So you put the two together and you, you get a good sense of what some of the best practices are in phenomenal teaching. So I think we are definitely out of time, um, but I'm happy to stick around and, and discuss some of this more or answer questions or show you things in the course if you'd like to take a look. Any questions? We can start with I know it's a lot. It's a lot of information. <laughs> But that's why I wanted to give you copies so you could just look at it on your own and, and think about it. Sorry. You mentioned earlier about the system-wide resources for online students. Is there a, a separate committee that's looking at that? Or yes. Mm -hmm. There is a, so the, the professional development wing is, is doing the kind of things we talked about today. And then um, the, I don't know if it's, if it's separated out here. Um, the, I guess they don't have an area on here. The uh, readiness committee is uh, actually has, has designed most of it already, and they're leading the pilot for eight of the colleges who are who are piloting the readiness modules right now. So they that those group those eight colleges are piloting it. Then they're going to be um, giving feedback on it. It'll be going through its final revisions, and then it's going to be opened up to everybody. Okay. So once those modules are available, they'll be put in the CCMS, and then we can use them. Whether or not we use Canvas, they, because they're made by a third party, they actually can be used in any learning management system. What's the association of At One? At One was contracted by OEI to provide professional development training. So At One has existed before the invention of OEI. It's been the Chancellor's Office training resource for the community colleges. So it's been doing that for years. It's, it's been the place that people go for, for training in um, teaching with technology originally, and now it's online teaching. And so they were selected by OEI to do the professional development training. Any other questions? How many, Chris, how many students do you have in your course here, your class? Um, my, the one I was just showing you is a 30 student okay. class. Right now I have 25, I believe. That's approximately the, the ideal number, I think, or it's too many, I don't know. It's a, it, 30 is a lot. Um, okay. I think 20 would be ideal, okay. but um, you work with what you have. Exactly. Uh, and I want to keep as many in as I can, uh, but you know, teaching online is, is a labor of love. You, have, you do, I interact a lot with my students, but that's what makes it rewarding for me is getting to know them. I actually feel like I know my online students better than I know my face-to-face -face students because we talk a lot. I talk with all of them. You know, in a campus class, you might have quiet students in the back. And in an online class, there is no back row. So everybody is, is engaging and sharing experiences. And so I really enjoy working with them. Um, and they, they like having a, a class where everybody's participating, too. I'm curious, when you talked about the discussion board, and so you, how many questions do you post a week? And then when you talked about, as an instructor, what, you, what do you feel is a, is a good amount of interaction and, do you, how do you decide which questions to respond to, or how do you participate? Questions. 
Uh, I'm going to go over that right now. Do you want to hand out or do you already hand it out? I passed out the evaluations, so please leave them on the table before you go. And I just, I know you're going to stay for questions, but I just wanted to thank Tracy. She really is an expert in this area, and she gives back to the campus with her knowledge. So I just want to thank her for all of her hard work in this series. So thank you. Oh, thank you. We have time in the room, Shannon? Yeah, you have time. Okay. So my so discussions I alternate. I use the discussion board and Blackboard, and I use VoiceThread, and I try to move back and forth between them so that students don't get too bored with any one way of discussing. So I'll show you the discussion board since that's easier to get into. So in my discussion board, I've got a what I call the lounge forum, which is most people call the Q&A forum. It's a place where students can go to ask questions, help each other out. Um, share something interesting that they found that ties in with the concepts of the course. And then each week I give them several discussion forums to choose from instead of just one so that they have some choice um, because students love having, having choice, especially in an online class. So what I'll do is I'll give them three different topics that get to different objectives for the week and they can choose which one they want to contribute to. So they contribute one primary post, which is their, their main idea, um, and that's about 250 words to 300 words. And then I also ask them to respond to the ideas of at least two other classmates, and those could be in different forums. So if I'm a student, I could, read that one. Um, I could perhaps do my main post here on hasty generalizations, but then I could take a look at what people were saying over here in the causation forum, and maybe that's one of the ones I want to respond to. And then maybe I want to go in here, read people's ideas about the story that we're studying, and respond there. So I give them lots of flexibility. They can, they can choose where they want to do their posts. They can do them all in one forum if they want to, but I encourage them to read the other conversations so that they know what everybody's talking about. And I found that they really do, because the, the key is what we discuss here really ties in with what I'm asking them to do. So if I'm asking them to write a paper about the use of hasty generalizations in some of the stories we're reading, they need to know what we talked about to do that well. So I make sure that it's always really integrated into what we're doing, and then they're more likely to come in here and check out other people's ideas and, and get conversations going. 